chaos comes, it's a chance to be initiated. You know, thinking that the United States and its ideas in church have come closest to reflecting reality is like thinking Iceland is the basketball capital of the world. It's actually a psychological disorder. F-O-M-O. Fear of missing out. When a man becomes who he was made to be by God, every day is adventure. Putting a book together is interesting and exhilarating. It is sufficiently difficult and complex that it engages all your intelligence. It is life at its most free. Your freedom as a writer is not freedom of expression in the sense of wild blurting. You may not let rip. It is life at its most free if you are fortunate enough to be able to try it, because you select your materials, invent your task, and pace yourself. In the democracies, you may even write and publish anything you please about governments or institutions, even if what you write is demonstrably false. The obverse of this freedom, of course, is that your work is so meaningless, so fully for yourself alone, and so worthless to the world, that no one except you cares whether you do it well or ever. Annie Dillard, folks. Annie Dillard, the writing life. She has so many amazing thoughts on writing and craft and it it does feel appropriate to begin with that as we talk about writing and art and rhythm today right at the end of the day we're talking about writing and hopefully our thoughts are specific enough because they are all ripped from other people they're all aggregated that they're helpful to people who like writing but but it begins (laughs) are you saying that we're not like overflowing with original ideas and like people have failed at writing books for millennia And now here we are. (laughs) We've solved it. Well, I would say we might be trustworthy counselors when it comes to, say, blogging for seven or eight years. Oh, gosh. But if, you know, writing novels or poetry tomes or anything like that, there's reason to raise a jaundiced eye. Some of this has to do with art making in general, and then it gets more and more specific to, okay, but what about, what about writing? The first thing that I wrote down when we decided to talk about writing was that every culture elevates particular kinds of art, particular forms. Every culture just designates particular kinds of work as important. And when that's the case, it's actually difficult to determine what it is that you like to do. Right? So... Woof. <laughs> You're talking to the the young man that's hypothetical that says they want to be a writer, but actually there's this conflict of I want to create beautiful things. And so you're like, your first place that you're beginning is what's your culture, what's your desire, what like the art, artistic expression can manifest itself in many different ways. And you do need to like poke to see how strong that writing desire is. Yeah, exactly. If that's, I mean, Dan Allender says this thing where he asks the person who comes to him and says, I want to write a book. He goes, well, how many books are you reading? There's, there's a few questions to be asked at the outset and, and you're beginning to ask another one. No, no, exactly. It just goes, we actually have a linguistic disadvantage here because our infinitive verb form writing is also the noun writing. 
And so it's, do you like writing? You wouldn't ask an artist, you know, do you like painting? Is not the same as do you like paintings. Right. And do you like movies? Is not the same as do you like filmmaking. Right. And you can sort of widen the gulf between those two things of, I like watching all of the shorts that Yeti puts out. We also do film production here, and it is so exacting and weird. It's it's a kind of work that I'm not trying to do any more of, and don't want to. I don't really want to advance any further in the filmmaking field. Right, right. But there's that. What are you What are you surrounding yourself with? What are the things you're giving your attention to? And in particular, with this field of writing, there's that like cultural jumping off point of what does that mean to you? What it when you say you love writing and want to write more, that can feel like a daunting task if you are not surrounding yourself with the culture and, and posture of creativity and words. Yeah, exactly. And for some reason, I don't know how local this is, but writing still gets a pass when it comes to value. So... Most people think that writing is sort of intrinsically valuable. So if you're operating here in the United States, it's like, oh, I love writing. You kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to like without kind of going, hang on. It's it's an easier barrier of entry, but then there's like a much lower cap in how we expect it to be good. So like I think we'd all go journaling is probably a good practice and you could call that writing jotting down a poem or a short story, like there's no barrier of entry. Anybody can do it. Anybody can paint. And that's really good, actually, on one level to say you don't have to have gone to school to do these things. However, it sort of stays there. It sort of stays in the inch deep water. Yes. And Flannery O'Connor has this observation. I'll I'll put a book list in the show notes here because we're going to mention a lot. But her book on writing, Mystery and Manners, collection of essays, She says that when most people say they want to write, what they mean they want to have written, or what they mean is they want to see their name at the top of a big brick of text that's associated with them, Mm -hmm. or they want to make a killing. We like visibility. Oh, my gosh. We like reach. Right. And we have these ambiguous associations around success, and you just go, (sighs) you know, Simon Sinek, who gave a very popular TED Talk, has a book called, one of his first books, Start With Why, where he just goes... Everything the world does is an infinite game. Success is an infinite game. And if you're doing a task that associates itself with success, like if you're a painter, you can have in your mind being included in the Met. Mm -hmm. But if that's not something you like to do, you won't find yourself liking your work because you haven't defined the terms of your game. Oh, like if the first question is, what are you surrounding yourself with as you step into this form of art? The second question, and one you have to spend a lot more time with, is what is your motive? The amount of times I've had conversations with young guys who know I've co-authored a book and say, like, I want to write, how do you do it? And there's this part of me that goes, like, well, actually, what? why? What is, the, like, the Simon Sinek's piece is huge because uh, is it is it actually for fame? I... I currently am wrestling with the, it would be really nice to have this sort of windfall that can come from the success of a book, but windfall is not a good motivator. It is not, doesn't actually build discipline. Doesn't actually put too much pressure on the thing that it's going to be messy and bloody and 
may never actually accomplish that. And if that was the goal, then probably 99.999% chance it's going to fail. Right. So, you know, I've had guys ask me, how do I get into triathlon? And then I respond, do you like cardio workouts? Do you like running, biking, and swimming? And they kind of go, no, but I have this vision of fitness. And right. I go, okay, perfect. Let's let's rewind and let's pick a goal for a practice you already like. So a book is a great goal if you like the practice that is writing. If you don't have a body that's built to run, you might have a body that's built to like lift and throw things and go, oh man, you will love powerlifting. You will love you might even love like alpine mountaineering. You will probably not like uh, sprint distance triathlon at all. You will probably sink in the water, and that's okay. And this is your question that you push back on because um, writing, and even writing a book, is sort of like the marathon example of like fitness to art, where everybody sort of thinks of like, ah, maybe one day I'd love to run really far. I'd love to do that thing and have that accolade. I don't know how many times people have been like, yeah, I got to write the book someday, and you're like, well. Are you a good storyteller? Is it is this actually just an anecdote? Is this is this just something that you mention as part of your testimony? Why does this actually need to be a book? Why do you assume that's the thing, or that anybody should read it? Uh, there's a New Yorker interview with Tobias Wolf that you can check out if you've already read your free New Yorker interview articles this month. You can clear your cookies. And then you can read another three or however many it is. But they ask him, <laughs> the simple loophole. what does your day look like? And he goes, boring if you're not me. I sit in a room with no distractions in the basement of a library and I write. I've been listening to a great interview with Zadie Smith. When she's talking to writing students, she goes, do you like being alone most of the time? Stephen Pressfield goes, do you like being alone most of the time? So you have to look at writers who are professionals in the trade. And they will tell you what the work looks like. And they go, well, you're alone a lot. And, you know, we recently had like a guy not want to uh, do some, you know, not want to contract more with Ansons because he's like, I don't love being alone, making things. I like interacting with people. And Zadie Smith talks about how together with her siblings, they have a trait, and it's imitation. And she goes, I like to be alone. My brother has the same skill, but he actually does, his art form is he does stand-up comedy. He loves audiences. He likes collaborating. And so there's sort of the core features of writing of, one, do you like the lifestyle? If you're sort of like trying to, if you're going to pick this as a pastime, like are you chill, being by yourself a lot of the time? Yeah. The big one after that is, you realize the medium is words. Do you like the things the medium can do? You can't really imagine a painter who doesn't like mixing paint together, who's, who goes, the color never looks the way I want it to, and it smears, and it's runny, and I get on my clothes. That person's not a painter. The person who paints likes all those qualities of the medium. Though it may experience frustration with finding the right color. Sure. As an author or writer has experienced frustration with the right words. That's okay. Yes. Because you, you're seeking something rather than despising the tools you're working with. There are three books between which I triangulate uh, most of my writing concepts. 
And one is Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art, mandatory reading. And really easy, you guys. It's like a chat book and some of the things like half page. The excerpts are 200 words. Yeah. Really, really good. Uh, the next one is Flannery O'Connor, Mystery and Manners. The third one is John Gardner's book, old book now, on becoming a novelist. And Pressfield is sort of the philosophical side of creating in general. Flannery O'Connor and John Gardner. John Gardner, also a longtime novelist, PhD writing professor. Where they start is, do you like language? Because in many ways, the things that you can do as a writer are very easy. You become a student of the capabilities and the limitations of words. In the same interview, Zadie Smith is asked, what's it take to write a great sentence? And she just responds, a good sentence will do. Most people can't do that. What what you're trying to do is write correctly, to use the conventions of the language in a way that carries a point to your reader. That isn't easy. I look at my own writing and I fall short of that all the time. Yeah, right, because think of like the most successful short story or novel you've read, the the style may change. The The knowledge of words has certainly changed over the years. Um, however, there's probably been moments in that experience of reading really good writing where you go, oh, you've put words to something I've always thought, I've always felt, and now you've phrased it in a way that I never could have, but now I always will because you communicated the idea accurately you you communicate the experience of life like that's that's not easy to do and i do like that sadie smith sets the bar at good because people are like how do i create like you got to craft I, I have the metaphor of like the story is like the is david and the marble and i'm gonna get i'm gonna carve it out and you're like okay sure um but also if you're going for perfect recognize that probably you're going to begin with okay and that's where i throw in the fourth book of like and the Mott's Bird by Bird is probably a little bit more approachable than Flannery O'Connor for most folks. That beginning with it's gonna be okay, not even gonna be a good sentence. If if the goal is good, that probably means that you're starting with poor, and then working your way up to okay. Yeah, writing things right. John Gardner he kind of says there's this balance for a novelist where you have to be interested in words, but. If you find yourself incredibly obsessive about words, you might be a poet, actually. You might not be a novelist because a novelist also has to kind of be really interested in people and gesture and the way that stories come together. He's read novelists who are so obsessed about words. And you just have to look at postmodern fiction to find a bunch of these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nabokov. Paul Oster. Oh, yeah, of course, those guys. Um, those guys. And, and you just go... I assume. Yeah, reading you is so annoying because you're just tripping over your language constantly. I think what you should do is try to write a poem or maybe a rap song where you can obsess over the words because there's only 400, not 40,000. Something I, I noticed about the, the long form, right? Because as you said, there's, there's a gift and a talent for conveying things concisely. And there are, there are some be- phenomenal poets and beautiful haikus like that that can communicate a story briefly. And that's not what we're talking about today. I think we're talking about more long form, like a novella or short story kind of at the least. Maybe a blog at the least, though I don't even like that word for some reason. Really? 
Yeah. Blog. Blog. Yeah, maybe because it sounds <laughs> so blog. Um, I noticed that, that the uh, the students of story make really good storytellers, and a lot of our favorite authors also can cross genres because of the way that story can carry it. And if you look at people that have really fleshed out their world, they, they bring that without needing to express it or spell it out for you. Um, I feel like reading Steinbeck's East of Eden, like he has, he has a world that goes on. Like there can be things that will turn and characters will behave in a way that is true to those characters and they can grow. And you experience that because he's studied story and he's got these, these people that are going to operate in it. Weak stories give you whiplash. Yes. Because a plot device or a character will move or behave in such a way that like human beings typically don't. Even if you know someone who's erratic, they are probably consistently erratic or they'll have a breakdown moment, but it'll be in this, it'll, it'll have an arc. People live in these ways that when a story gives you whiplash, pay attention to why. Like it's probably because something needed to happen and there was a flaw in the ability to make that happen. And so they kind of went presto. And now this is the way it is. And you kind of go, whoa, I just had to take this massive leap with you in order to be okay with that. And I have come more recently to just love a story, regardless of the ending, like with Flannery O'Connor stories, we may want it to go a different way. But if it's well told, it's almost like finding a polished river stone where you're like, this communicated words, ideas, story well, and it's whole. It's not like you gave me half a rock and it was taped to like a tree. Like, well, no, stop. Yeah. And that puts good words to the fact that especially if you're a writer and you happen to be a fiction writer, the overall theme here is that you end up liking the composite pieces of the craft. You like what it's Mm -hmm. made of. If you're a fiction writer, you like this this fact about reality that characters constrain action. Actually, this is actually just pivoting over the side. This tracks over onto reading the Bible where you go, uh, God speaks through the situatedness of the biblical writers, not in spite of them. So he embraces this fact about humanity that we experience the world through our idiosyncrasy. And so in a story, if all of a sudden like a chess piece, a person has picked up and moved somewhere else, we instinctively know that it's wrong. We go, that person, hmm, I just, I can picture that person in my mind. She reminds me of my aunt. My aunt would never do that. She's much too, Mm -hmm. insert like the obsessed with the details, dismissive, inattentive, proud, whatever it is, you go, oh, that would never happen. Right. But when you read a scene where like it's just a great representation of the way that people live, you find yourself grinning. It's like, ha, it's exactly what they would say. Right. I think of George MacDonald, who began with poetry, wrote theology, and also wrote stories. And I'm like, this this person needed to understand story well to understand theology well. And their understanding of theology also affected their stories and the ways that characters would behave as they operate with their their belief systems. And so 
it's not to say that you have to become like a theologian perfectly to be a good novelist, but great actors will try to understand the motive of the character that they're portraying. A great author should have distinct motives and you want stories open outward. It's actually what I think J.K. Rowling did really well in some of the earlier books of the Harry Potter series. I'm sorry that I'm quoting them and refer to that if that offends you, but what she did well was she had these tidbits that opened outward. And then what she went down and did is tried to like fill them in in later books and I think didn't do so great. Like it ruined some of the curiosity, but things that you can drop and let, let, like the sound will carry far away as opposed to just this hollow thunk that like clearly the depth of that character or that situation or that piece only goes to the edge of the room. There's this knowledge of story and motive and idiosyncrasy that's like, that makes it beautiful. And you don't have to, you don't have to tell us all of that, but that's got to be there. Yeah. And you have to be a student of it to like even begin to express it well. What I love about the McDonald. (laughs) Oh, there's always pressure, isn't there? The McDonald thing, writing across uh, forms, is actually really helpful. Something that I think is interesting is how, when in art, outsiders usually seem more aware of the capabilities of a medium than an insider, and you tend to be jealous because other people's work always looks easier in the same way that the worst pain is always the pain that you're feeling. Uh, But I look at friends who are songwriters and I go, it's no fair. You not only have words, you have this thing that is music and all of the things you can use in music of key changes, the way chords are built, time signatures. You have this huge toolkit to create an experience. And then not only that, you have more notoriety because you can always play out a guitar and you know, be a little more famous, therefore exposing more of my lurking notoriety success motives and just go, yeah, but hopefully the songwriter can turn around and go, yeah, but a song is not an argument. And even if a song is story-like, it's not identical to what you can do in fiction. It's not identical to what you can do in the great argumentative essay where you like lay out and they go, ah, oh, but in a song you have to have a chorus. Oh, I'd imagine the, the, great, blah, blah, blah. the great angst would be the time you spend with it versus the time you invest into it, right? Like a novel you may spend days, a month, you may revisit it and spend that time again. Meaning as, as a reader. As a consumer. Okay. Yeah. For a song, you've got their attention for four minutes. And if they really like it, they put it on repeat. But ultimately, how many times are they going to listen to this thing you made? Right. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that you know, I love in thinking about writing and then telling young writers to, and I'm a young writer, everybody, but fortunately, there are already even younger writers. <laughs> so what we tell ourselves as well, Some who are folks. even better. Everyone, I hope, has the experience of reading something that like a teenager has written or even you know, a child and going, oh my gosh. You're doing the basics so well. This is actually better than the last thing I wrote because you're... Annie Dillard. <laughs> how often did you think about Annie Dillard when you were a teenager? A lot. And then how much did you feel like a failure when you turned 19? <laughs> <laughs> Annie Dillard, folks, won the Pulitzer. Pulitzer at 18 for her first book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. So, you know, so, right, no pressure. Saying there are people who are younger, saying things to tell them to do, kind of go... Yeah, you know, 
So you like the medium that is words. You're paying attention to, maybe we can toss some advice in here on, you're paying attention to like the systematic development of, of the craft that is using words, which kind of means knowing words in the conventions of language and culture. Are you gravitating towards the form of writing that you enjoy? Alan Arnold has said he'll read stories from people who would rather write an essay. And I will read essays from people, uh, Charles D'Ambrosio being one, who also writes stories because most of the time when I read his essays, I go, I really think that you want to tell an interesting story here. And this is barely an essay. And the parts that are making it an essay feel slightly shoehorned. There's flexibility across these mediums, but going, uh, starting with the why, thinking about what you like want to do. Oh, this is what I wanted to say earlier. I remember when I was thinking about essays and carrying ideas, culture. You know what? Another thing about our cultural moment that makes writing hard or obscures whether or not a person actually wants to be a writer, we live in an age that both commodifies opinions, so such that you can kind of put them on like shirts and you can aggregate the right opinions about things, you know, the right things to say in a coffee shop conversation. And we go, everybody needs to be heard. And so you kind of walk around with this. It's good. We have a deep knowledge of the fact that we have something to contribute to the world. But also, like, we assume there's no process to develop it. Mm. And I go, yes, your perspective yourself, your soul, it's non-repeatable, you have a creative capacity, you are a creator, and there's probably a process. Don't write, a, don't probably write the essay. there is a process. Yeah. In being gracious there. Don't write the essay before you have something to say. Attempt applying that same thought process to any other craft. Like, everybody has something to make with their hands. You're like, great, so I'm going to like make a chair. It's going to be a really bad chair the first hundred times, probably. Right, And you wouldn't look at it and go, this chair, you know, it might be valuable to a few people because you made it. Yeah, like mom would put it in the laundry room. But it's not valuable to anyone. That doesn't mean it's like contributes anything <laughs> to humanity. <laughs> doesn't mean everybody else needs to pay attention you to that, it. You go, oh, that's cool. But people don't treat writing that way. And so it muddies the thing that is becoming a great writer, I also, wanting to be a writer. Yeah. There were some statistics that we were reading a couple of years ago as we were exercising and feeling that like the barrier of entry to many forms of art and many forms of exercise does feel lower than it's ever been, right? Like everybody can get a drone, everybody can get a fairly decent camera. I know a lot of our photographer friends feel pretty frustrated by that, that it feels like anybody can take a decent picture these days. And the, the value of a photographer's eye is diminishing. It feels the same with the written word, beginning to feel the same with film. However, don't actually let that take you out. If it is something that makes you come alive, if you do love the craft, if it is something that you want to dedicate time to, because the fall-off rate of people actually reading about how to do it well, practicing it, having it be a daily rhythm, like it just ends up being astronomical of the small percentage of people that will wrestle with it long-term, that will follow it through, that will make it a lifestyle. Like you guys, it's, it's like a, I mean, it's just tiny. lower than 10%. I mean, it is 
And, and that's actually super encouraging for me because it goes, you're not just another voice contributing to the, the chaos. You are at first, but if you develop rhythms and pursue it, then actually you leave everybody behind pretty quickly. Yes. Ryan Holiday, a writer, has an essay on writing a classic and he just has some very shrewd observations in it. One of them is he goes, uh, one, don't worry about how long it takes. History doesn't care if a book came out two years earlier or two years later. It's, it's meaningless to the field. Uh, another, he goes, no one can stop an unstoppable writer. Meaning, write more than one thing. Mm. Essay, collection of essays, collection of poetry. Doesn't just one thing feel fragile? Like, there's that, I do want this to be an encouraging podcast to say, like, you want to love the thing. Don't force yourself to be a writer if you're something else. Love what you're doing. And it feels really fragile to just do it once. Do it a lot. Make, make, like, make there be many things. Right. Because, oh... Like the development and like the unstoppable nature of that is so good. Yes. And it creates space for the reality that everybody makes occasional bad work and you don't have to be disturbed by that. Right. Where it seems mean to name them, but I can look around at some of my favorite writers, fiction, autobiography, and go, oh yeah, I can, I can always point to the book somewhere in there. Without condescension, going like, "Yep, that didn't love that one," and that's okay. Like, right. they're a fantastic writer, and so let yourself have some misses. Right. People have probably experienced that already. Like, there's going to be actors that you love better in certain films. There's filmmakers who, like, on the one hand, loved this one, hated the more recent one because it just that's okay. They're not, you don't actually have to be perfect, and that's where the fragility comes in for me. Of if you have it all based on this first one or the only thing you're going to create, then it actually has to be infallible and just a home run. And like, that's just that, that's so much pressure. You're never going to finish it. You're never going to do it. I found myself, what's the book, uh, that took 10, this guy that they got 10 years to write. Uh, Tolkien, Lord of the Rings trilogy. No, 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 no. I think probably a lot of people like this. Lee Fanger. <laughs> okay. See? Virgil Wander. Nope, nope, nope. Keep going. Susie, you know which one I'm talking about. Takes a lot of people ten years to write a book, and that's my posture. Like this was a guy's claim to fame for a little while. It was like, wow, this this was like an epic that he spent a decade writing, and I'm like, ah, it's actually pretty easy to take ten years to create one thing. Right? Okay. Yes. What you're saying at the beginning there reminds me of releasing the outcome. Any field, it becomes more and more clear that yes, you do need to have outcomes in mind because they're moving towards something. But what you pay attention to is the process. And so most of the advice, like Pressfield goes, the worker has a right to his work, not to the outcomes of his work. What you focus on as a writer all has to do with what the habits and the work of a writer are, not with being stressed. Because if you're a writer, you live with constant anxiety and this constant feeling of maybe I'm not a writer. And I haven't found any writers who are any good. I have found occasional writers who don't think that are like, no, I know I'm awesome. Those are the ones you've got to watch out for because they lack the necessary awareness it would take to be a writer in the first place. If you have that, you're going to feel all the time like you're a fraud. You can't do it. It's not going to work. Does it mean anything? Acknowledge that and then go, 
you can do the process. You can understand that, uh, you know, some of the, maybe we can roll out some tips, but go, what you do is learn the lifestyle, track over to athletics and go, we have a race coming up, super fun, like cross country relay this weekend. And I have good reason to be concerned because the process hasn't really been there. I know I'm not going to float into this race and just feel great, dominate everybody, go fast on the downhills because I can look and go, well, is that the thing that characteristically happens when a person doesn't ride that much? No, that characteristically happens when a person rides and recovers and rides and recovers and develops skill and there's a, there's a process there. Yeah. Um, the reason that we're going to include these books in the show notes is because reading them is really helpful and we're not the first ones to talk about creativity or writing. Um, and I think of Casey Neistat's one time said, don't let perfect get in the way of good. And that just became like a mantra for a season for me. Um, I think creative people do want like the perfect vision. And how many times has a meal not turned out the way you wanted it to look? You had a different vision in mind, but you don't throw it away. It's a, it's a learning experience. You get better at it by doing it rather than just leaving it all behind. And so this practice, this rhythm, like it, it does, it does need to be something that gets used or gets lost. And I'm in a season right now where it has totally fallen by the wayside. So though I identify as a writer, I identify it in the way that like I'm a creative person. Um, I am not currently in a season of productivity and I love the war of art because of the language Pressfield uses of how much of a challenge it's going to be. The things are going to get in the way and try and block it and stop it. And so like remove as many barriers as you can find that isolated space, establish rhythms that are going to help you create, become a student of story be okay with the fact that you might be in the bottom of a library like or or another space that's probably very solitary yeah. <laughs> or discover that you don't like those things and that what you really want to be is you know that you have a different actual art form you're great at making speeches and that's okay right some of the things that are actually helpful i love this list of books because every book i read i've discovered tends to get me about 10 pages of work done almost every time it kind of averages to that but that's, that's fine because when you're a professional, you have an interest in your field and your craft and what it looks like and how do you develop monotasking skills? What are the enemies of monotasking skills? Improving just as a writer of the mechanics, what I think really is the single best book, it's a book called Style, Lessons, and Clarity and Grace. Joseph Williams and Joseph Bizup, the double Josephs. It is very boring and sometimes heavy sledding, and their advice is so good on basic things that a lot of, that just people aren't taught, like in addition to having noun verbs, nouns and verbs, every sentence will have a subject and an action. So who is doing the thing in the sentence? And if your main noun is not the subject and your main verb is not the action, people will feel lost. Then I just look at my own writing and I go, that's what's wrong with that sentence. I wasn't binding the thing I had to say to the conventions of communication. That's a great book. When it comes to actually the writing day, the only one that I've actually found is helpful comes from Neil Gaiman. And what he says is, during my writing time, one, your writing time, it just is what it is. You want the repeated day and 
you will discover quickly how much stamina you have. And you can flex it some and increase it and shrink it. But there's an art of discovery. In weightlifting, it's fascinating how people have a, a peak time during the day where they can perform at their highest. In mine, I've learned over the past three years of paying attention tends to be uh, between about 11 and 1 o'clock, like right in the middle of the day. Some people are, and there are people that lift early in the morning, and I'm like, I'm weak early in the morning. It's not a good use of my time. But what Neil Gaiman says is you find your writing time, and during your writing time, you are totally free to not write. You don't have to write, but you can't do anything else. It's, and it just goes, oh, so there's not the pressure of look at the page, because this is what happens. You sit down, you look at the page, you realize you don't have anything to say. The self-doubt starts. And everybody thinks of that quote that you now have to bleed on the paper. Right. You like have, and have to force it. And I just don't think living with this level of stress is ultimately conducive to getting work done. <laughs> it's weird. And so I would. it's like, no, 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 no. You sit there. You can look at the writing you've done. Like, mm-hmm. But you can't go on the internet. You can't. This is the Blaine's monotasking thing. Like, yeah. You can't have a book. I don't even bring coffee. The problem is the things that we let ourselves do while writing are things we like to do on their own. Yeah. And yet I think like, oh, psh, I can have a cup of coffee while writing. No, no, no. I think that's interesting. That's an activity. So no coffee. I don't even have water. It's just me, laptop, nothing Sometimes else. I have books. I often begin my praying and then have silence and maybe I'll read a little bit and then I will write. I've written a bunch while smoking a cigar. Blaine's written a bunch while drinking coffee. <laughs> Have they been the most effective use of time? Not always. The rhythm that is working is going, you know what? I have my writing time. It is when it is. And during that, like, there's no pressure to write. But that's like what Neil Gaiman points out is you'll, you know, the minimum viable chunk is probably an hour. And eventually in there, you're going to get so bored that writing starts to seem interesting. <laughs> this is what he says, actually. <laughs> and you're like, you know, all of a sudden you start looking at a sentence. And you're like, oh, that tinkering is fun. Uh, and then you start thinking about the scene again and you go, I bet they would do this. Oh, that's kind of fun. And Yeah. So something I'll throw in here. This is the way that dad writes, actually. He has a wall of note cards that has like topics and themes and direction for a book or a chapter. And in the early stages, when you do need to get momentum, you need to get into the flow of a particular project. Again, it's it's take the barriers away. And when you sit down to write... Right where the mojo is. If it's a if it's a story that's unfolding much later in your fiction than what you were working on yesterday, let that be okay. Like follow where the passion is. That's not actually a problem. Um, the craft of it does come later on as you begin to stitch and weave these things together. But at, at the beginning, it is very difficult for people to write A to B to C all the way to Z in that chronological order. Most people don't. Some do, but people that are going to weave in these pieces, these complexities, these surprises have thought about them beforehand and will let things change as books and stories take on a life of their own. But that's one of mine, like right where the mojo is. So when I sit down and I have my time, this is in a past rhythm, I may not even write about the same story. It might not even be the same theme. It might not even be the same style. But what I need are some miles putting words on paper this is like the early stuff and that is also okay. doesn't need to necessarily be like, and now I've hammered out chapter seven of my book. Yeah, that's so good. A few other things that were just tossed in rapid fire. It's just the general things of learn what the medium is like 
and go, there are, there are always outliers. We get obsessed with the outliers and it hurts the craft to focus on the craziest example and go, there are people, man, um, Louise Erdrich, uh, the novelist who can pretty much write a novel a year and, but you know, she's like someone who can run a four minute mile where you go, yeah, that for sure. There are people that can do that. They're less than a thousandth of a percent of the population of writers, but know how long it takes to write the form you're trying to do. If like if you're a novelist, you can ask a bunch of novelists and they'll be like, yeah, somewhere between two and ten years. Mostly between two and three is what most of them take for a novel. You go, oh, that's nice to know. Uh, unless you are an extreme outlier, by definition, the first thing you will write will be your first draft. And it's okay to share it, but first drafts are not final drafts. Let it be the animal it is. Don't be discouraged by the fact that you read back and you go, this isn't perfect. And you go, was that like the first slash second time you worked through that bit of prose? Yeah. That's your first draft. Okay. So revisit it. Have a conversation with someone. It'll work. Other voices and input is slightly more complicated, super necessary. People that you trust, people that will like actually give good input. Um, I think most people think... Okay, this this maybe not fair to begin the sentence that way. I think that you think that being a writer is joining the Inklings at a pub. I think that you think that you will find three or four other people who are going to be successful and prolific, and you guys are going to enjoy your pints together, and you're going to like sharpen each other's words, and you're going to go back to your little studies in the English countryside and write amazing things. That's great that that happened. And you do need those people, but that isn't necessarily the experience of writing itself. And I'm still waiting for my bird in the baby pub to come rolling into town where like that particular thing works. Really like it ends up being maybe one other person, maybe two that really do call you out, inspire you, make you finish it. And you do need that. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's again, looking at the outliers of... Writers do have writers tend to know each other, but if you look at the entity that is the Inklings, you go, yeah, we're obsessed with it because that kind of thing of cohort peers with similar interests, drinking beer and talking ideas, like <laughs> I don't know how many like writing groups have started that way. How many things have been invited to? We're like, we're going to start a writing group, and I'm like, that sounds terrible. I don't want to write anymore at all. Exactly. Here are a few that are just helpful, like basic. Listen to the Q and A with Jeff Goldsmith. It's a podcast that's interviews with screenwriters. Whatever your medium is, it, it talks about working through story with words over time. And, you know, you listen to it enough and the major themes all come out of what it means to be a writer, what it means to have engaged story. Uh, and then read, read the books that we've mentioned and then we're going to put in the show notes. First, read The War of Art. If that goes well, you can sort of grab bag, depending on your medium, either mystery and manners, uh, on becoming a novelist, if you're a novelist, the writing life, if you're just a writer of some kind. Though keep in mind, Annie Dillard is more exacting than most people, so she can be really discouraging. So actually put it this way. First read The War of Art, then read Bird by Bird, then pick, based on your medium, like some other voice talking about how to do it. Gardner, Dillard. O'Connor being the, the choices the we're throwing runners. out there for you guys. And then don't be discouraged. Like, swing away. Don't let perfect get in the way of good. Good.